Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yugara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Trainer Talks and Tales. You are joined by your hosts, Tess and Daisy. Hi, Tess. We are excited for this episode, and we did give you a little bit of a sneak peek on our socials about what we're chatting all about today, and we will get to that really soon. But Tess, first of all, I want to know how your week was. Thanks, Daisy. I had a great week. Uh, I'm recording this on a Monday, and I've had a great weekend. Uh, Went camping with some friends and brought the dogs, and yeah, it was incredible. So my recommendation this week is go camping. If you've been thinking about it, just just do it. <laughs> That's one of my favorite recommendations you've done. <laughs> yes. Simple and sweet. Uh, anyway, how about you? How's your week? Any recommendations? Yeah, my week was good. Thank you. A lot better. Um, I had such a pleasure this week because I got to visit you, Tess, at work and met some of your beautiful raptors that you get to hang out with every single day. So my recommendation is for everyone listening to go to Lone Pine and go and see Tess do the raptor show because it's pretty incredible and the birds are adorable. (laughs) Thanks, Daisy. It was lovely to have you visit. Well, today we are going to be talking all about meerkats and lions with our lovely guest, Danielle. Now, Danielle is a keeper at Werribee Open Range Zoo in Victoria, and she has worked across so many species and has so much knowledge to share. So let's get into it. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. We all met briefly at the ASZK conference where both you and Daisy presented. I can't wait to dive into your presentation. But firstly, we must start with your fast five. Are you cool to get straight into it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, number one, lemonade or Coke? Lemonade. Favourite animal? Lions, definitely. Burgers or pizza? I think burgers. Mermaids or unicorns? (laughs) Mm, Unicorns. Last one, which you kind of already answered, meerkats or lions? Ooh, I, I said lines before, so I'll say meerkats just to mix it up. <laughs> nice. Interesting. Okay, well, we're excited to talk about both of those species a little bit later on. But to start off, both Tess and I really love hearing about everyone's different journeys into the industry. So could you possibly chat a little bit more about what you're doing now and how you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. So currently I'm a carnivore and primate keeper here at Werribee Open Range Zoo. Uh, which is one of the properties of the four from Zoos Victoria. So I've been here for eight years now, which is fabulous. But I actually started out in the car park directing traffic, which was lots of fun back in the day. Um, And then I started making my way through sort of visitor services and the visitor engagement areas while I was completing my Bachelor of Science in Wildlife Conservation um, and Biology. And then after that, I started doing a bit of volunteering at Hillsville Sanctuary and at the RSPCA just to try and get a bit more hands-on experience. And then following that, I was lucky enough to uh, gain a place in the Cert 3 Captive Animals, which I think they've changed the name of it now. I think it's a Cert 3 in Exhibiting Wildlife. Uh, I did my first placement here at Werribee, which is fantastic. 
fantastic because I, I knew some familiar faces. And then two days after my first placement, they offered me my first keeping contract. So that was a very, very exciting time. Um, and then, yeah, I started working here. My first contract was on Savannah, so working with animals like bison and camels. Started working with the hippos, which were just an absolute pleasure. And then I pretty much just went where any of the contracts were available. So I just put my hand up for anything that would would come through. So I made my way over to the native section and started working with some threatened species like eastern bar bandicoots and orange-bellied parrots and little mountain pygmy possums. Um, then I moved over to the African River Trail or the art section and uh, fell in love with meerkats and servals and some cheetah as well. Um, and then where did I go after that? Um, then I went back to uh, natives for a little bit again. Um, and then I came back to art as well. And then I started with some large animals, so primates, uh, Western lowland gorillas, and then onto the African lion. So I've um, been pretty lucky to be able to try different taxa um, at the one property, which, you know, isn't always an option. So, but I think there's there's a real benefit in just saying I'll work with, with whatever species that, that I can. So um, and now I'm permanent, which is fantastic. So that's a little story. And then on the side, um, outside of work, I do a bit of volunteering with Wildlife Victoria. So uh, trying out some koala rescues and possums and stuff. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm very, very, very grateful um, to wow. have that type of journey. So, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. You've clearly worked with such <laughs> different variety of species, which is amazing. Did you find yeah. doing your Cert 3 in exhibiting wildlife super valuable? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the best part, so... Um, down here in Victoria, it's run through the Taronga Training Institute and Melbourne Zoo facilitates that. So you do all your class blocks um, at Melbourne Zoo and so you're being taught by other keepers and then other keepers from different states would come over and do and do the, that practical or that session. And we were able to go to a lot of keeper talks and training sessions. Um, and then, yeah, we could do our placements through through the different properties. So um, it just happened to be that Werribee, where I'd already worked, was where I started. So that was such a benefit because... It just meant it just meant it a little bit easier. I think when you're starting out wherever you go, it can be pretty, you know, it's pretty nerve-wracking starting to work with keepers, but it was just nice that everyone was so welcoming. So um, yeah, very, very, very grateful. I also just love that you said you started off directing traffic in the car park. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about that as well. Yeah. It's like whatever yeah. um you need to get your foot in the door yeah. and you did. So um yeah, I love that. Fluoro vest, yeah, no shame, just absolute fluoro vest. <laughs> got the arms going so um yeah but you have to start somewhere and it, it gives you an appreciation for all the different roles that help to run the facility so you know from cleaners to ticket office and even the, the retail shop everyone plays such a, an important role in that so I think it really humbles you when you do start to to move on to different areas that yeah it's all it's all really important so but absolutely many uh hands make light work I love it now, obviously, we want to talk about the fantastic presentation you and your co-worker Eliza did on your Meerkat Mob. The topic of the conference was training to inspire positive welfare. Do you want to expand on some of the amazing training you've been doing with the Meerkats? Yeah, definitely. So um, ours was called Motivated Meerkats. So we wanted to really uh, sh sort of show showcase uh mainly three proactive sort of healthcare behaviours that we were trying to train. So uh, we were doing the voluntary hand injection and the potoscope, which is, you know, obviously, Daisy, what you were doing with your beautiful little blue penguins, um, and then the, the voluntary x-ray. So it was really nice 
us to to go through those behaviors in in the most positive least intrusive effective way and um because we had to give our meerkats their COVID vaccine so we've got five beautiful meerkats and they each required three each so um but we're very lucky we have an animal training coordinator her name's Kelly Hobbs and she is incredibly skilled at vaccinating particularly small animals so uh, we had her on board which is incredibly helpful um we actually say she's got the quickest hands in the West because um, I, I've i tried to, you know, vaccinate those meerkats and they're incredibly quick, but she's luckily so skilled and she was able to help us through that. But um, the, the best part of all the training, and I, I suppose for you guys as well, when, when you're able to train within that animal's habitat, it just ma makes it so much easier and it just means that you don't need to remove that animal for any type of medical care. So there's such a such an amazing benefit to that. So. Um, yeah, the voluntary hand injection was fantastic. We had a little shoot prototype that the meerkats would come into and they would choose to head into that area. Um, and then obviously some days they would choose to completely ignore us and they didn't want to train at all. So that's that's all part of it. So in terms of their motivation and, and, and assessing that, it's really fun and interesting. Um, and, and Eliza really championed that, the podoscope. So it probably wasn't quite as... Um, set out like yours Daisy I remember in, in your talk you had a beautiful setup with the walls and you know one penguin would go in and you would move them on so we had a bit of a challenge that all the meerkats wanted to be on that on that podoscope so we'd have to try to station them away to make sure that um you know we can get that that right area because we had some concerns about their paws just like you know with the penguins and, and bumblefoot all that kind of stuff so um and then the, the x-ray was really fantastic because it just meant we didn't need to take the the meerkats up to that vet hospital um, and remove them from from the rest of, of the mob. So, um, but yeah, desensing them to the big X-ray machine was pretty interesting, and also trying to desense them to to the vets coming in and, and the vet vests. So it was interesting to see their different responses to all the different elements coming coming into the enclosure. But it's really nice that the visitors were able to see that training session as well, which which for you um, both in your fields, you know, it's that's one of the best parts is being able to share it with the visitors and sort of explain what you're doing and why it's so important for, for their proactive healthcare. So it's fun. But actually, Daisy, I've got a question for you. Did you know how many people we'd be presenting to on the first day? Did you have any idea? The minute I walked into that room and saw the size of the room, I was like, <laughs> no, nah, I'm out. <laughs> I love presenting. It's one of my favourite things to do. But in that situation, I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this is very overwhelming. But everyone also kind of felt like friends straight away, which was really nice. So I think that really yeah. helped a little bit with the nerves. I'm not sure if you found that too. Yeah. Well, when we got to the meet and greet and I looked around and I thought, how many people are here? And I asked Bianca who runs it. And she said, oh, I think the first day, because we both presented on the first day. She said, I think there's over 200 people for the first day. And I was like, Eliza, what are we doing? Like, why? Why are we here? What have we done? And you have to follow on, like, your presentation. Um, you said in your first um, podcast, and I was there too, you obviously won best presentation. So we, we had to follow on from you and, you know, Ken Ramirez and Tim Sullivan. And I was like, whoever presented before us, I don't think I absorbed a word they said because I was so nervous. I was, I'd have to go back and read what they said because, um, yeah, I just couldn't focus. But... The good thing is we were on the first day and it meant you could really enjoy the rest of the conference because you sort of got it out of the way. So I'm very, yeah, I, very happy that we were. I completely day. agree. We were really happy with, with that as well and felt like we enjoyed the rest of the conference a little bit less yeah, stress-free, yeah. which was good. Yeah. Um, now, I would love to know, do you find that with your Meerkat mob, all of them sort of lean towards the same type of reinforcement? Yeah, we're pretty lucky. So we found out we did some food preference testing, which turned out to be pretty hilarious because... 
items that we thought the meerkats would really enjoy, they were like, no, thank you. We don't want a bar of that. So I thought they would get into things like tuna and wet, you know, wet dog food and stuff. But um, it turns out they all actually loved peanut butter. And so that ended up being uh, the, the primary reinforcer we used for that because we sort of wanted those uh, slightly more advanced behaviours. So things like the podoscope and um, the voluntary hand ejection, we wanted an isolated reinforcer for that so that all their other sort of basic behaviours, maybe they'll get, you know, um, fruit or, or sweet potato, those kind of things. But when they come into the shoot and do something that's, a, you know, a little bit more um, invasive for them or they need to choose to come into that section, that they get a really nice reward. And so they all loved peanut butter. So that was really helpful that they got into it. But interestingly now they've had all their COVID vaccines, but now we're getting them ready for their F3 vaccine. So um, something that, not you know, cats at home, you know, if you've got a pet at home, your cat would need that. But they're over the peanut butter. They don't want to bar of it anymore and so we've had to try to figure out a new item and but we found out now they're quite enjoying mints so um we've had to change that up and just make sure that um we can offer them something different but yeah not into it anymore it's strange <laughs> it happens <laughs> have to find that new yeah, primary reinforcer well on that uh you mentioned before that there was a couple of challenges and we all love a challenge so you mentioned a couple before is there anything else that you've been faced with lately yeah, I think the biggest one um, was, it's quite a funny one. So we have an individual, his name is Tano, and he is incredibly intelligent. He picks up behaviours really quickly. And so particularly the 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 meerkat shoot where we do the hand injection, he just wouldn't get out. He wouldn't leave. Um, it just meant that the other meerkats didn't have the opportunity to, to have a chance and get their vaccines. And so um, we had to start luring him out and have a little separate station just for him to be like, sorry, Tano. We know you love this area. Like it's it's a fantastic challenge to have, but um, we almost had to have a separate trainer just to keep him busy and occupied so that the other meerkats uh, could could have a go. So that was pretty interesting. And another big one is we find in winter because it's so cold down here. There's a bit of lack of motivation from the meerkats to come to come out and train and participate. They just like hanging out in their little warm heated nest box, which makes sense. So we don't want to get out of bed sometimes in winter, but. Um, yeah, so for them, we sort of had to um, time their training session a little bit later in the day, maybe when the sun's come out rather than their, their typical uh, timing. So, And then um, also after their after their first vaccinations, we did see a bit of regression from some of the individuals, mostly the, the two more shy individuals, so Sita and Nazuri, after their first vaccinations. Um, they, they didn't really want to participate, so we had to um, – some of the things we tried was just leaving the shoot, the, the training shoot in, in the area so that they, they could – investigate that um and not be you know desensitized to a cat needle all that sort of stuff um and then the last one is probably every once in a while the meerkats just decide that they don't want to recall and the the recall yeah they're like no thank you we're, we're just going to hang out here so um just sort of working through that making that a really positive space for them to enter and you know really putting lots of enrichment and, and yummy treats in there but the the good thing about it is you know as we say it's all choice and control and, and we want them to have control of their environment and if they choose not to come over that's totally fine some days you just have to respect it and say they don't want to train today so um but yeah it's very entertaining you have to laugh because you know they're making that choice so it's, it's funny I love that you mentioned about that particular meerkat that would not leave because we definitely have that at the moment with one of our penguins who finds the crate so reinforcing that she will absolutely not leave so we're talking about different ways of how we're able to manage that going forward now, you did um, briefly touch earlier about using the most positive and least intrusive way when it comes to training, which you're absolutely doing with your meerkats. What do you think the benefit of training behaviours with that intention is? 
Yeah, so I think particularly for meerkats and I guess smaller species, uh, in terms of their management, it used to look a little bit different um, and that's just because it was completely necessary. So some animals, they really need that medical checkup or they, they it's necessary for them to head up to the vet hospital. And so there used to be a lot of um, like manual restraining and capture and restraint and manual handling. So it's so beneficial that we're able to sort of uh, start moving away from that and, and give the meerkats a little bit more time so that that can become an established behavior and it's something that they're choosing to participate in so touching on before it gives them control of their environment and it's it's so beneficial for that for their well-being so um and, and that kind of training it, it gave us the ability to like for the podoscope for example and I don't know about you with your little penguins instead of having to invite the vets over every time to do a visual vet check or bringing new people into their habitat it just means that we can send that the images um out without having to interfere and I think if anyone's worked with meerkats before or, or, or sometimes social social groups of animals, if you remove an animal from that area to to have medical treatment, sometimes when you reintroduce them, there is aggression. And particularly for meerkats, you know, we, we see that a lot, um, you know, in human care that they, you know, they, they're not really fond of that meerkat when they come back because maybe they smell like the vets or potentially they still smell like the anesthetic. And, and sometimes we really see that aggression. And so being able to do all these sort of um, proactive healthcare training in their in their habitat. It just means that well, yes, the visitors can see that, but also we're not having to remove that individual, and we can get that information. So, and particularly for the X-ray, it's such a such an amazing thing that we, we can get an X-ray and they don't even need to leave you know, leave their home. So that that's that's been amazing. So that's I think that's one of my favorite things is that they can they can all stay together because it, it can be really difficult to manage them when they're not getting along. Just like when they're having their family debates, I like to call it. Um, it can be very stressful for them, but also for keepers too, it can be quite stressful. So it's nice to avoid that. <laughs> Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense to avoid the um, reintegration back into the mob and making dramas. That's not what we want. So I love that. Um, now, obviously we love talking about meerkats, but you work with other species, numerous other species, and we would love to know a bit more about the pride of lions you have. Can you briefly introduce it? Yeah, absolutely. So everyone loves these questions because everybody loves lion cubs. So uh, at the moment, we've got six lions in our lion pride. So we've got uh, the mother, Nilo. She's 11 years old. Um, she this She's a third-time mum, so she's incredibly experienced and she's just doing such a wonderful job. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to, to watch her raise those cubs. So I feel just in awe of her every single day. And then uh, the father of the cubs, his name is Sharu. So he came to us from Sydney Zoo. Um, he weighs about 185 kilos, so he's pretty big boy. He's very handsome. Um, and then Asali is the other adult, so she is from Nilo's previous litter, and she is six years old, so she's sort of their, their big half-sister. Um, and then most importantly, the three little cubs, so they've just turned 13 weeks um, just this past Sunday. So um, they were recently in a naming competition, so they've just got their names. So we've got, got two boys. One is named Django, and he's quite brave, so he was the first little cub to approach us as keepers and, you know, sort of sniff us out and, and try to figure out what we were and who we are. Um, and then Mwazi is the other little male. So his name means moon. The cubs were born on the full moon. And he, I think his best trait at the moment is he loves eating. He loves coming up and eating as much as possible. He grabs the food from the other cubs and sprints around um, in the lion den having a really good time. Um, and then the Kianga is the little girl and her name means sunshine, and she's quite vocal. Anytime she can't see her mum, she'll be calling out to her, um, letting the boys know where she is. So, um, yeah, they're 
just absolutely beautiful. And yeah, it's funny now because we've always seen them as lion cubs, but they're sort of turning into little lions now. We can see they're turning into little predators and stealing food from each other and growling at the other lions. So it's funny to see um, just how they're developing. It's it's really beautiful. That's so cool. And what a privilege for you to be a part of their upbringing and developing and learning. So exciting. Now, obviously, with your meerkats, you work full contact or hands-on with them. And I'm assuming that is slightly different with your pride of lions. Would you mind explaining to everyone what protected contact means? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the lions are, yeah, quite different from the meerkats. So the lions are what we consider category one species. And so we don't work inside the habitats or inside any of the areas with the lions. So we don't we don't share the same space with them. We work um, we work through a protected barrier. So when we're doing any type of training, there's always a barrier between us and the lions. Um, whereas the meerkats were able to go into that habitat and, and use those we can clean and, and all those type of husbandry tasks, which is really great. Um, but yeah, and so that that comes with there's there's lots of different challenges to and for. There's lots of great ways that you can train while you're in the habitat but then we're also able to achieve different training things uh, with the lions from from the outside of their enclosure but I think it's really nice in terms of um, still being able to hit those milestones in terms of like we can still do voluntary bloods with the lions um, but it just it just means that when the lions do interact with us it, it just means it's completely voluntary because often um, luckily for carnivores they're very food motivated so they almost always want to participate in training because they love eating like myself um but it just means that they do have that full choice to, to come over and they've got a lot of room in terms of um you know if it's really sunny and they're exhausted for some reason they'll just lie down and Sheru likes to ignore some training sessions as well so it's nice that he's got that opportunity to say no thank you um, I'm gonna lie right here <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you already mentioned that the husbandry behaviours are so important and so different depending on the, the contact. What is the difference when looking at training lions and meerkats in terms of contact? Yeah, so um, I think we, we sort of talk about the different benefits of particularly working in the habitats with the meerkats. So in terms of their space, we can really utilise a lot of different um, areas within their habitat. So um, for example, with the with the meerkat, the shoot training, we were able to set that up in a place that it made it easier for us to hand inject them and it just meant to, made it a little bit safer for the meerkat. So it's not as if we were sort of crouching down in a small area. We were able to pick um, a section of their habitat that was really, really good for that training session. And I guess the same with the, the meerkat x-ray and the protoscope. So, um, But those obviously aren't things that we can put inside the lion exhibit because the lions will have a great time with those tools and um, the x-ray machine is really expensive, the vets tell me. So uh, we would have to, you know, sedate the line, take them up to the vet hospital and do that. So there's definitely um, amazing ways that we can train those meerkats by bringing in those those training tools. But uh, luckily for the lions, um, I guess for hand injected, the lines have a bigger surface area. So it's easier to hand inject a line because there's just a bigger area to go for. And so that's typically if someone on our team hasn't done a hand inject before, the lions are a really great place for them to start because in comparison, the meerkats are very difficult to hand inject. But as I said, we've got Kelly, so she just gets in there and and, and really is, is so talented at that. Um, and I guess sometimes because we need to shift the lions from different areas because there are less training spaces, it can be a little bit more time consuming to set up that training session for a line because um, you know, we're working with two keepers and we need to make sure that place is nice and safe and secure for us and for the lions for, for when we're setting that up. So for something like the um, 
the voluntary blood draw so we can open up a certain tail hatch. We can ask the lions to flick their tail through that tail hatch and, and get a blood sample from them, which is helpful. So we're still able to manipulate that tail in a way to, to gain those bloods, but um, it's still in a safe way. So that's because um, the meerkats are so small, that's not something we're able to do with the meerkats. So there's definitely pros and cons, cons for both, but um, I think you know, it just has to be that way so that people, people go home safe. So yeah definitely yeah absolutely and I think it's great that you touched on the difference because I think even sometimes working animals that you can be free contact with it's really desirable to practice working protected contact with them too just in case any circumstances change in the future you've got a little bit of that experience being able to do the same sort of behaviors each way and I know you touched a little bit just then on the blood work that you've been able to do with your lines which is amazing Mm -hmm. is there any other husbandry behaviors that they're trained to do yeah, so the, the blood draws are a really good one. Um, and they're Obviously, they can accept voluntary hand injections, so those are great for their vaccinations um, and also sedations if someone does need to go up to the vet hospital. But um, a, another really important one is mouth open for the line. So we're able to really assess their oral hygiene. So we're looking for things, you know, in case they've got gum disease or, you know, checking their tongues or, or mouths for ulcers or um, depigmentation, you know, around their noses, all that kind of stuff. So that's a really handy one because oral healthcare um, is is sometimes the first sign of, of something a bit more sinister. So that's great. We ask the lions to open up their mouths, you know, every single day. Um, uh, a good one recently, so we can ask the lions to stand up and sort of show their their full body. And this has been really important for Nilo, particularly because the cubs are still suckling, just to be able to assess the the health of her teats and make sure you know she's not getting any bacteria in there. There's no infection or swelling. So that's that's been a fantastic one. Um, and I guess that the blood draw was also important for Nilo because that let us know, that blood sample let us know that she was pregnant. So um, unfortunately, we don't have the facility to do the um, ultrasound, which hopefully is something we will be able to do in future. Um, but that's another thing with lines, any sort of building a training area, that's usually more costly than something you can build quite easily for the meerkats. So, um, you know, hopefully someone's listening and they might donate to the lion training cause and we can get an ultrasound <laughs> <laughs> um, to see. Um, but yeah, as you both know, sometimes it can be difficult, you know, working within a zoo organization, you know, we don't always have access to lots of money in terms of doing amazing things that we would really love to do. So you just have to sort of work with, with what you've got. So, um, and then another good one is probably a little bit more fun. We do a behavior called, uh, we call it Mark, um, but it's a remote stationing. So we've painted a yellow rock, super innovative. And we pop that in, in the habitat or in, in the lion dance at the back and, we just ask the lions to go and touch that with their paw or their nose. So it's just a little bit, a little bit more fun for them. So we want the training to obviously be health focused, but it's nice for them to do something, you know, a little bit more physical or, or slightly off off the health um, radar. So, so yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's so simple, but like so effective. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. Great. Yeah. And you mentioned the Cubs before, like that's so exciting. Congratulations. But can you tell us why you think it's so important that we have a breeding population of lions in human care? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're, it's really exciting that we've got three incredibly healthy cubs as, as part of this Australasian breeding program, you know, for conservation. So, um, they're, you know, they're wild cousins. They're facing a lot of threats um, out in the wild in terms of, you um, human wildlife conflict and um, habitat dis- uh, destruction, habitat fragmentation, all those kind of issues that, that lions are facing. And so their numbers are dwindling in the wild. So they, they predict there's only about 39,000 um, lions left, which sometimes sounds like a lot, but when you think about what their numbers used to be and, and the difference, 
different areas that they used to inhabit. It's, it's completely different now. So um, we, we want to make sure that the, the, the fantastic thing about providing a, a breeding environment for these lions, particularly for our lions, is, is we know that um, it enables them to exhibit lots of different behaviours. So, um, and I think one of the more beautiful ones is 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 breeding. It's so important for the for the female to be able to go through that reproductive stage in her life. But it also means other members of the pride can experience some different behavioral behavioral concepts. And so I think a really beautiful one is that Sheru, when he first arrived from Sydney Zoo, the girls they gave him a little bit of a hard time. And so I think he lost a bit of confidence in terms of how he can interact with the ladies. Um, but, so we haven't really seen him engage in those in those play behaviours because he was quite nervous around them and any time they would approach him sometimes um, it wouldn't be play. And so now that the cubs are starting to get a little bit older, we're actually seeing that behaviour coming out of him. He's starting to run and he's stalking and he's dunking them on the head and the cubs are biting his tail and they're ripping, you know, fur out of his lion mane. But it's just it's so beautiful to see how his behavioural repertoire has changed since being introduced to the cubs Um and likewise for Sally as a big sister now, she's got that information um, and that experience seeing her mother raise cubs. And so now she'll be able to have the opportunity to raise cubs, you know, with that knowledge and that experience. So it's just, it's so beneficial for, for the pride here in human in human care, but also making sure that people fall in love with lions and, and, and so they can make those choices in future about, you know, helping them out um, in whatever way possible. So yeah, it's, it's it all comes together. Yeah, definitely. And I really love how you touched on, obviously, the importance of breeding them for conservation, but also the importance of breeding them for their own species sake in human care, like how enriching it is for not only the lion that's able to reproduce, but for the rest of the pride too, which is really, really important. Now, we do have some questions for you from the listeners. So I'd love to get straight into them. Now, question number one is, what are two things to consider in regards to safety when working with big cats? Yeah, this is a great question, and it's funny because we have um, we have portfolios, and so you can sometimes people might have enrichment or training, and no one in our team wanted to do the safety portfolio. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it for six months, and then part of that was, which I didn't realize, which is a bit of a stitch up, was a five day training course, sitting down lecture, and I was like, how am I going to do this? As keepers, you know, it's very hard to sit down for five days straight when you're used to going out and cleaning all that kind of stuff. Um, but the training program was incredibly. It, I think it's just changed change the way I zoo keep in terms of one of the most important things I learned from that was um, sort of the saying that, you know, at, at work you're replaceable but you're not replaceable at home. And so if for some reason you can't work at your facility anymore, um, in order for that organisation to run, they're going to replace you. They need to replace you as a new zookeeper. But, you know, you're not replaceable to your family and your friends or and I always think about my pet. I was like, if I didn't come home, my pet is not, like my dog is not going to understand where I went and so you know, figure out figure out what your what your why is in terms of why is it important for you to, to go home safe and that will really help you um, when you're making those decisions. So that, that probably that's one point in terms of thinking about why is it important for you for you to go home safe so that when you're feeling like and I think the second point is if, if, if there's any doubt in your mind about if a pin is locked or you know if you've checked if you've checked this lock or if you left something on exhibit all those kind of small things if there's the smallest bit of doubt in your mind please go back and check please go back and check it might take you might take you an extra minute or an extra five minutes but you know we're working with category one animals and just to ensure your safety but also the safety of people you're working with and the safety of the animals please go back and check figure out what your why is in terms of 
why you need to make these smart decisions for yourself, whether that's your your cat or your dog or your partner or your family. Um, so that the, the second element of that is that you can you can take your time and make those smart decisions. So, you know, we can all be safe. But yeah, a bit of a safety nerd now. Sorry, it's a bit of a tangent, but it's a five day course. It, it's got me. It worked. <laughs> That's good. No, safety first. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned in the Fast Five that lions are your favourite animal. Can you briefly just explain why? Why are they your favourite? Yeah, I think, well, currently because because I'm experiencing or, or being able to have the privilege of, of witnessing a mother raising her cubs and, and how that's affecting the rest of the pride. It's, um, it, there's, something, there's something about working with social species, I think, in comparison to sometimes species that live by themselves because there's so much you can do for that animal in terms of their welfare, but that you just can't compete with with their social interactions and what they can provide with each other. So being able to step back and, you know, offering them food and enrichment and training, all those basic things, but just being able to witness what it's like for them to interact with each other, there's, yeah, there's just nothing that can compare to that. I don't think it's just, you know, yeah, there's no words for that. It's just, it's beautiful. That's so cool. I would absolutely love to come down and meet your pride one day. Yeah. So hopefully we can get down there. Yeah, please amazing. do. Now the last question yeah, is actually. Big cold. Bring, bring a jumper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not used to that weather down in Victoria, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, now the last question is actually a question from me, and that is where are the cubs up to at the moment with their learning and what age do you generally start conditioning their training? Yeah, fantastic question. Well, something exciting happened today, actually. It was the first day that the cubs have started climbing trees. So in terms of their coordination and their development, they're up in the trees. And uh, Mum Nilo, she was up in the tree as well. So it was pretty exciting to see today. Um, I'll send you some photos and videos later of them scooting around the trees. In terms of their their training, so uh, they've just had their second vaccination. So their first vaccination. Vaccination, um, which you might have seen on the video, is when they had their first medical check. So uh, we were checking their teeth and their eyes. Um, they had their first vaccination. So that's when we went in with the cubs um, to handle them, to, just to make sure they were nice and happy and healthy. Um, but this second vaccination, we were able to um, invite the cubs up to the mesh and actually try to do it in uh, in a voluntarily way. So it's not quite established to the same degree as the adults. So uh, it's definitely more opportunistic. But uh, we were desensing them to the cat needle and the uncapped needle um but yeah using mostly luring in order to get that so um and we've also started what they call like charging the bridge or pairing the bridge so with the lines we use a clicker so we started just clicking the noise to make sure that it didn't scare them um but now we're sort of doing the clicking and then reinforcing and making sure that they're starting that process of understanding uh you know what that communication means for them which is really fun um we're trying to focus on recall which is pretty funny because Sharu, the father notoriously terrible at recall because he's just he's not food motivated and sometimes he's just out on his habitat in the sun as I said before just completely ignoring you and his son Django is just seems to be absolutely similar and Django will just be lying on a log the rest of the pride the other five pride members are all inside and he's looking at the birds completely ignoring us just not not um yeah not looking towards us at all so it's hilarious just to see how similar those little similarities between him and his father but I'm sure he'll 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 get it eventually but um and then yeah we started training them probably I reckon they were about seven and a half to eight weeks um we started uh trying to offer them blood and, and milk and that kind of stuff um and then a couple of weeks after that we started with the training meat so um nothing is as good as as Nilo's milk though from the very start um but yeah they're ways in particular he quite likes the the training meat so uh, I suspect that he will probably 
be a bit more of an easier line to train in the future. But you never know that they're, they're changing every single week um, just yeah, to see them develop and, and, and running around and, and hitting those new milestones. It's just, as I said, it's such a privilege and it, it's just so fun. It's a very fun time to be at work at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. You just light up when you talk about it. So we're really excited to see <laughs> the, their progress too. So we'll, we'll make sure we'll keep up to date with that. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for your time that you've taken today. You speak so eloquently, so passionately, and it was absolute pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so much. No, thank you. It was so nice to speak to both of you. I hope we'll meet at another conference because I know Tess, you just presented, so I'm sad I couldn't be at that conference. But, um, yeah, hopefully at some time in the future we'll meet again. Definitely, definitely. That sounds good. (laughs) Thanks so much again, Danielle. No worries. Thank you. Wow, that was a really interesting conversation. Love learning a little bit more about meerkats and lions. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll have a new one for you next week. See ya. Bye-bye.